0: Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. And I was born and raised in this community. The people of our community matter to me. And so I started this podcast several months ago to express several intentions and to create a platform for sharing. I want to thank all of the listeners who are listening, bravely listening, all of the contributors who are bravely sharing. I want to thank all of you who are making donations. And if you would like to support this broadcast going forward, you can contribute at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. I read the intentions for this podcast at the beginning of every episode. So I'll do that now. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the three ho Kundalini yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle were born and raised into it and, or who have practiced or taught Kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we hear them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural misappropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, the 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions get somatic therapy and other therapy or support as needed to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. I want to welcome today's guest, Sofia Basera. She was born in Mexico City to a non-practicing Catholic family. She was always interested in spiritual experiences. And when she was 21, 22 years old, she lived through two very traumatic experiences that involved sexual abuse and drugs that left her very confused in a quasi schizophrenic state. In 2007, as part of her search for healing, she started practicing kundalini yoga in a place called Istak, in 2008, she went to live in Guru Ramdas Ashram in Mexico City, led by a couple of yogis named Jai Hari Singh and Jai Hari Kar. After around a half a year, uh, around a half a year of living there, she started having a sensual sexual relationship with Jai Hari Singh, who quickly decided to divorce his wife and begin a serious relationship with Sophia. This relationship lasted until 2014, until Sophia finally had the courage to step out of it. Around 2018, Sofia started to realize that the relationship had not been entirely consensual because of the mental state that she was in when the relationship began. Today, Sofia works as the director of an educational NGO in the rural area of Mexico. She lives with her partner, two twin daughters, and one boy due to be born in May. I want to welcome you, Sofia, to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. Thank you for thank being here. You. Thank you, Rudanishan. I want to say thank you for the courage to come forward. Um, your story illuminates already the, the the complications and complexity of of having some um, mental um, health things happening, and then finding Kundalini yoga, and then having it morph into. Um, interesting power dynamics from the get-go in a long-term relationship. It wasn't short. So I want to just thank you for the courage to give us a glimpse into this segment of your life and ask you, um, why do you feel it's important to share your story now?
1: Well, I've been listening to some of the podcasts that you've been doing and they've been really helpful in my story. Um, i was started uh thinking about the subject of abuse and the dynamics of power that were present in my relationship with jayhari around 2018 more or less and after that uh, came the whole thing uh, of premka's book and and then the thing with guru devs recently you know and it's all been really ground (laughs) shaking and um I don't know. I think sharing my story can can help others also uh, try and understand what what is going on or what happened in uh, yeah, some ways. No, and also for the longest time, uh, like <laughs> when when this thing happens. Um, well, there, there are a couple of things. Uh, when this thing happened with Jayhari Singh, like he did get called by uh, the ethics committee by Purukakar and the ethics committee in Kundalini, like, but they didn't ever call me and and ask me what was going on or how did I feel about it. And so, and it was actually a conversation that I did want to have with them. So, like, I think now is a good moments to, to make my voice heard in a way and thank you uh, let's
0: pause there for a second and just say for those listeners that don't know there's an ethics um department for lack of a better word through kri kundalini research institute is that right so if a teacher that is certified violates um some sort of rules of conduct, then they're reported to, to this body, correct? And you're saying, so that happened and then they contacted him. So I'm sure you'll tell us more about that in your story. But what I hear you saying is that you never got contacted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. So exactly. in the way that's addressed, obviously, as, as an organization, it, it was addressing things by only contacting that lead teacher, but not the other parties that were involved that could illuminate more fullness of the story. Exactly, exactly. So,
1: well, that, and also there's a the thing, like, I've been listening to, especially second generation stories, and I am really touched by them, but I also want to make, like, um, a, a point in addressing that many of the things that happen in 3HO are not particular of 3HO, <laughs> you know? Like, I think they, they happen also in other contexts, and uh, they also lead to, to. Finally, people giving away their power and their and their consciousness in a way. No. Um, And myself being an example, no, like my father did many of the things that that you second generation guys are talking about. And he was not Kundalini.
0: He had nothing to do with Kundalini. So do you mean specifically whether it's like abandonment or um, like do you have something specific in mind when you say this? Yeah,
1: I think it's like following not following other things that don't resonate with you. You know, fo- following things, moral things, or following uh, uh like life, uh, life ethics that don't really resonate with you. That aren't born with you. You know, that it, it's like something you get told. You need to do this. You need to behave this way. Um, the unconditionality of love, you know, like if you do this, I love you. If you don't do this, then I don't love you. <laughs> you
0: know? I think. Yeah. You're bringing up a super point, And I think it's really important that all of us remember and listeners that all, all everyone listening, remember that there's nothing that we're bringing up in our unique experience of 3HO that doesn't exist on a larger microcosm of everything in the world. Meaning, um, you know, having to, you know, prove and compensate, you know, to prove that we're worthy of love or not getting the attention and the affection we need from our parents or, or not, you know, somebody can grow up in a very different circumstance and still have issues of not getting the uh, attention or the devotion of their parents or give their power away to the priest or to this political organization or to this neighborhood. So you don't have to be raised in a specific cult to have issues around all of these larger issues, whether it's sexual abuse, financial abuse, all sorts of predatory, psychological, religious conditioning that prevents us from being a whole expressive soul. Right. What I will say, though, is that this podcast is about 3HO and we highlight it for a reason. Because when you're a microcosm in the macrocosm, meaning we're a specific community, a small example within a large example, and our small example is supposedly highlighting awareness above the masses, it highlights an added level of coding that says we're a special group and we're here to enlighten that larger group that doesn't yet have it figured out. And I want to highlight this once again because senior teachers, ones that I know specifically, use that, what you're saying, as an example to not deal with the violations and the predatory abuse within 3HO specifically. They'll say stuff like, well, this happens everywhere in the world. Well, there's political organizations that violate in that capacity. Well, there's, you know, Boy Scouts of America had issues, you know, the, the Catholic Church. All of that is true. And yet we're speaking about our unique experience, so we get to highlight how this exists everywhere in the world, and it's happening right here in the domain of the yoga of awareness and a hijacked culturally appropriated religion that is 500 years old plus, that has its own culture and yet has been hijacked in the name of spiritual superiority. Yeah. And that's
1: also, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, and I agree, I mean, I think it's important to, to make a focus on, on 3HO. I, I think it's also important to make a focus in, in leading 3HO doesn't automatically give you, like, <laughs> uh, the license, the safety. License,
0: not, the safety. Right. You it doesn't mean you get it. safety, right. So, meaning the line of saying, that's so bad, it doesn't work. Because all of this same stuff is going to show up everywhere else if you don't start unwinding the toils of getting caught up in this level of manipulation.
1: Yeah. And also, I wanted to to make a point, myself coming from a Mexican background, yeah. and I think Mexican culture is a little bit uh, nearer uh, to Indian culture in, in some ways. No, like... like the macho culture is much more like the inequality, you know, we are used to like a caste system almost, <laughs> you know? like mm. maybe not not uh, not as much as India, but there is a very rigid class system here, you know, and I see many of the things like uh, of, of the Yogi Bhajan entourage and, you know, like <laughs> the way he behaved as as something that i can see in many indian teachers actually (laughs) you know (laughs) and like when i see the indian culture in general like i am not really surprised that he wasn't that different (laughs) you know (laughs) like uh and i don't know that it's been a theme in 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 dealing with this abuse issue like how evil is like are their actions evil or where they're just unconscious? <laughs> you know, like this, this, this lingering question in my mind, you know, and I think I haven't solved it yet, really. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know, maybe speaking and talking about it can help.
0: Yeah, again, I just want to say thank you for that lens, because it is really important that we all know that. A, we're airing it out and talking about it in our community, but it it doesn't mean that these same storylines and themes aren't going to follow you to the next group or place or world you find yourself. And that the real unwinding is within us, you know, that it's not so much good versus evil, but it's like, wow, what what needs and wants do, do I need as a human being? And how do I end up gravitating towards people that, give me the illusion that they can fulfill something in me, right? And that that's kind of a human condition story, right? That we have this longing to belong and kind of thinking that somebody else has the answer more than us listening to our resonance. And I heard you say that in the beginning, like even your dad did this. Like a lot of the things we've experienced growing up in 3HO, like he wasn't from Kundalini Yoga and he did a lot of those same things because this is a part of the human condition for us to reconcile. Yeah. Yeah. What it, what it means to be abused and to heal, right? Yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that piercing lens and also the uncertainty of it. Like, it's not like I got this figured out, but I sure am wrestling with the questions. So Sophia, you're very brave here. I want to say, let us know how you'd like to, to begin. To begin. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think... Um, first
1: of all it would be necessary to understand my story to give a little uh, prior background of the, the what happened to me before a little bit before i got to kundalini yoga and um, because I, as, as i said in my short bio like when i got to kundalini yoga i was really really confused and i can say that I did not know what was real from what wasn't real. (laughs) And I had this issue with uh, understanding what I heard in my mind, was it my own voice or was it other people's voices? (laughs) So it was really, really confusing. Uh, Around when I was like 21 or 22 years old, uh, I had like a very, very... um, well, confusing, confusing story of, of sexual abuse that happens with two different people in two different times. And uh, um, both of them had like this sort of, um, well, both of them happened while I was doing uh, drugs and alcohol. And so they involved also some kind of distortion of reality, you know, like I was seeing colors. I was in the second one, I straight up Thought I was listening to other people's thoughts, um, that I had some kind of telepathic uh, abilities, and um, with animals even. And I had like the weirdest, um, strangest, most vivid dreams I had ever had in my whole life. <laughs> and um, I could not dismiss it as, uh, I mean, even now, I, I cannot dismiss it as something that happened like in the fiction realm. <laughs> uh, one, one of these experiences, the second one, also uh, it happened something really weird. Uh, from one day to the next, I could completely sing uh, as when I was a child. No, when I was a child, I was able to sing really well. Then as age... Uh, started happening as things ha- happened in my life. I couldn't sing as well as before. And I think this is a normal process for everyone. Right. But after having this, one of these experiences, the second one, I was able to sing perfectly from one day to another, you know, like I recuperated my, my voice completely and, um, something I, I felt it had to do something, uh, with fear, with not f- being uh, in a state of fear, somehow no. And so um, the in the second uh, in the second uh, episode of sexual abuse I had, like it was so 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 entangled with this kind of, I wouldn't say spiritual awakening because it wasn't awakening. It was just confusion, <laughs> but like with. Um, this heightened perceptual uh, state, no, that uh, I did not want to leave. In fact, my parents took me out of there by force. And um, what happened, I, I ended up going to a psychi- psychiatric hospital for like two weeks, and they ended up medicating me. And from one day to the next, like, all these uh, heightened perceptual uh, abilities just collapsed. (laughs) I had none. (laughs) And, And the only thing that was left was my voice, right? And, like, I could still sing. And that was the only thing that, like, led me to believe that somehow the experience had been somewhat real. (laughs) right because everyone around me my parents my friends they all kept telling me that none of it was real you know that i was being manipulated by this guy and that the guy was abusing me that why did i want to stay there (laughs) etc so like in my search uh i ended up uh, with kundalini yoga because because of the mantras (laughs) because the mantras involved singing and at the time, like, I needed some something that gave me a thread to, to, to know that what I had lived had been somewhat real, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so um, that's why I, I got hooked on Kundalini, because I, I loved the singing part, right? Okay? And um at the time I didn't even care I didn't know what the words meant like i i th- I said it was perfect no like not knowing like what can what counted was my intention uh, when I was singing right and meditation did help in in a way like it. M- it gave me like a sense of calmness uh, within this whole confusion in my mind. No, was it real? Was it not? Is the thing? Are the things I'm am I perceiving? Are they real? Are they not? No. And and slowly, uh, with my my stay in the Guru Ramas ashram, when once I got in and I started doing sadhana daily, and I think those questions started to slowly. Um, Wind down, I think. But at the same time, I started like relying a lot on uh, Jay Harising, which was the director of the ashram at the time. I started relying a lot on him for for guidance, I guess, on like everyday decisions. I think, I can't
0: even no. Were you doing like guided sessions or counseling sessions, in addition to like sadhana and Kundalini yoga with him?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was doing counseling sessions. And, um, and I think very soon also he he like recommended I go live into the ashram, and that I started working for the ashram. And um, also, I don't remember how soon, but he also started like, Asking for massages, for like feet massages or like head massages, and there was also one time where he asked me to go to like a um, like a retreat he was having, and he like like I was supposed to go like a little bit like the role of the secretaries for Yogi Pachul <laughs> like to
0: travel with him when he goes and teaches. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, 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 I, I'm guessing it probably felt like a privilege to be asked yeah I mean a, a privilege and i also have to admit
1: that there was like some kind of sexual um uh, um attraction on my part to him no like um and I wasn't really like consciously uh doing it like like attracting him sexually like consciously no but like i guess the fact that i was able to communicate with him in in a period of my life where i wasn't able to communicate with anybody else (laughs) really uh, like it led me to, to some kind of like affectionate,
0: uh, feeling with him. Right. Absolutely. Well, and let's pause a little more longer there. Um, if I'm hearing you correctly, you had this whole situation happen prior to finding Kundalini Yoga into the psych hospital for a little bit on medications, your whole family basically trying to tell you that the experience you had wasn't real in terms of your sensory experience. When you have the medication, it dulls that. And you're kind of like searching for a lifeline that validates that some aspect, even if you could recognize it as abuse, some aspect was real for you. And I'm reiterating that to say from there, you found Kundalini Yoga through the sound current, through the mantra. And and if you found it directly and, and there's something special about having found a practice, it's called yoga awareness. And then there is a whole world that goes with it. There's an ashram and there's a lifestyle and it almost, at least my witnessing of yoga students is it's in a world that you wish existed in a chaotic, crazy, everyday world.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think I got so, so, um, enticed or attracted to the whole kundalini yoga world and and
0: like i think it was was just your connection to him and then into the ashram
1: yeah i think it was more like the connection to him because exactly what you said he validated my experience like one of the first healing sessions i had with him or coaching sessions i don't know which was it but (laughs) i remember he said like uh he talked about himself being raped when he was like a little a, a little kid and the teenager more like it and he said something that uh like stayed with me no he said like even if it was rape there was some part of it that you enjoyed no and there was some part of it that you 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 like that wasn't so bad for you and in fact it it had happened that way like in the second in the second sexual abuse i had it was actually like that you know the first the first sexual abuse i had was a very confusing situation, and like a friend was nearby, and I didn't, I didn't understand at the time that it was abuse. Like I was more focused on what I, I was seeing and all these other things, like through the drugs, right? But my friend immediately saw it, and and she was like, "That's sexual abuse. That was sexual abuse, right? And and you're kind of stupid for letting yourself be sexually abused, and, et cetera." No? So. After this first, first uh, sexual abuse I had, like, I spent probably like a year, a year and a half on my mind thinking, was it sexual abuse? Was it not totally depressed? I could not speak
0: to others about it because I, I felt really stupid for letting it happen, you know? it. I want to pause you again and just say, then let me clarify. It's not that there was like a nostalgia of the ashram or kundalini yoga. It was the trust that was established in your counseling sessions with him as this leader that you first had contact with to learn the practice. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and I did feel that at the time, nobody got what I was living, no? Like, it was really hard to share it with anyone. I had gone to, like, uh, once psychologist, and I had gone to multiple rehabilitation centers, looking uh, for uh, and uh, kind of help, guidance, you know? And nowhere I felt uh, that people were actually understanding what I was going through, you know? Because even though there had been abuse, which uh, in, the, in the second sexual abuse, there had been se- sexual abuse, I, I was conscious about that. But still there was this other part that I was, I didn't know what to do with it you know <laughs> like it right. was real what had happened I wanted to know I wanted to keep exploring that way I wanted to 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 have some kind of um understanding of, of that you no know? and like nobody understood that part and and the fact that he did understand that part like it was like a lifeline in that moment yes. right and so I was like okay so he understands that what do you think I should do next right because I don't know in fact I, I remember like getting into the ashram uh, one day in, in, in class and I, I remember like bowing <laughs> in class and I, I, I just remember saying like I don't know I I, ha- I I thought I knew but I have no idea what the world is about you know so just like I offer myself completely you know just tell me tell me what do I need to understand because I don't know right? it it felt at the time as if my whole structure of life had been like completely destroyed right so yeah i was like perfectly like setting myself up for it like tell me what to do
0: (laughs) and not just setting yourself up let's qualify you know because you're not in the role of the teacher like so he's sharing he's sharing he's the counselor and the teacher and he's sharing a a story where you feel like wow somebody understands me and relates they've gone to something similar but also tying it back to the confusion of being abused oftentimes is that we can have sensory enjoyment even when it's abusive and this is oftentimes what's very confusing about incestuous relationships when it's happening with someone from our family because we experience nurturing and love and safety on one level and then we're violated sexually on another and the body registers it as both safe and violation and that can be confusing. We then yeah. register it as our fault. So anyways, I'm, I'm qualifying that once again to say your experiences set you up for that, right? And yeah. here you are like right in the reins of it. Like I, I submit, I have no idea Show me the way, and you're almost doing that with him too. Like, what? The, what's the next thing I should do?
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing that I, I wanted to like also um, point out that there was like a mix between like my devotion to to the city Guru Granth Sahib and, and like the you know like even Yogi Bhajan, you know, there was there was a mix between what devotion to to God meant and what that translated to in devotion to him, you know, and and what I was meant to do with him because of that devotion I had, you know. Um, Yogi Bhajan, I never met. Uh, he he was already dead when 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 I started doing Kundalini Yoga, but I did feel him like a couple of times, like really really, how uh, like it was a really intense. Once I was teaching a class actually, and like I felt his breath coming into me, like, like, so clearly, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then another time I was, like, handling a, a mala that he used to have that think Singh had, and as, when I touched the mala, I immediately, like, saw Yogi Bhajan meditating, you know, and, and I felt him, you know. So these two experiences left me, like, convinced that Yogi Bhajan did exist, that he was really a powerful uh, yogi, you know, and that he was somehow connected to God. And, you know, so it was really all mixed up I- I- that way, you know,
0: like. Um, I also just want to point out that here, just in, in you sharing in the language, how this is just like quite a, signif- a signifier of cultural appropriation of the Sikh, Sikh religion in that Sri Guru Granth Sahib here is synonymous and interwoven to the energy of yogi bhajan, to God, and that's so anti-Sikhi, you know, and I'm no expert at this, but I just want to speak that out loud that this is totally 3HO Bhajanism practices when it comes to kind of like the the guru space that Yogi Bhajan kind of created and that the marketing system of our of our community over time made synonymous to the energy of the city Guru Granth or the energy of Yogi Bhajan and the energy of God and and how um, convoluted and confusing to the new yoga student it was delivered.
1: Yeah well in general i think I, I, myself included and i've seen many people interpret the sigudogran say as as how however they like it you know like there there's you is know so offensive <laughs> You know, there's this talk about, like, the monkeys and the manmukis, no? Or I don't remember the exact term, but the, the ones that are with God and the ones that aren't with God, you know? And, like, I've seen people just interpret that, like, oh, I'm the chosen one. I'm, you know, like, and, and I don't know, like, I think any spiritual book, like, even the Bible or whatever, should be read, like, with some cultural references, as you say, <laughs> you know, like, exactly. uh,
0: historical, and, cultural exactly. references.
1: Exactly. It's a historical book and it's not just as cut said, up and
0: used according to the way that it best serves, you know, the our, our needs.
1: Exactly. So, so yeah, it was, and I remember like, whenever we started um, like dating in a way with, with J. Harrison, we, we once went to the uh, movies and like, I know we were, like, both uh, having some kind of, um, like, feelings, I guess, no? And, and I was confused. I was trying, at the same time, to, to be more, more um, like, uh, closer to, to his wife, because I was feeling that something was going on with him, you know? And so I was, like, trying to get closer to her, to ask for help, you know, and like say this is not right, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know, but I also felt that she was like somewhere else, you know, like I I was never able to, to actually speak to her about it and the connection I had with him about my prior experiences never happened with her, you know. Like I whenever I talked to her about what was going on, like I felt that she didn't understand again what was going, like what had happened, etc. No, and, and the help that I was needing, you know. And um and then as, as I was recalling when I went to to the movies and, and I came back, I, I remember reading the City Guru Granth and it, it said like you need to serve those who serve God, no? <laughs> like something like that. And, and that was like, okay, so I'm doing fine, you know? <laughs> and like, and that's not right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> wow. and I can see it clearly now, no, but but at the time, yeah, I used the City grant in ways that I shouldn't have.
0: Well, I wanna pause you and say, you didn't learn that from nowhere. Uh Uh (laughs) It was very much taught, right? In terms of like what it meant to allow yourself to to receive if something like that, right? Um, What I mean is you started practicing kundalini yoga right and there's all of the teachings that come with that and then with that is this teacher that's teaching you and helping you feel connected and understood to your own self is then also has another level of connection so it's kind of like confirmation bias you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like where we are confirming Mm -hmm. we're only seeing what we're wanting to confirm right so here suddenly you're feeling seen you're feeling all right, and then a part of you is like, "Well, maybe I should check with the wife." But then she's—you're only getting resistance. So then you get confirmed from teachings, right? And um, yeah. can I clarify? Was when Jai, when you met Jaihadi and Jaihadi Kar Jai saying, um, Is there an age gap? Were you what age were you versus what? What? He was thirty-two years
1: older than me, so okay.
0: there was age gap. Age gap. Thank you. Um, so carry on. So I know you framed it like I let that happen. I let, but we also, as a new person coming into this fold, right? You're learning that you can go to the scripture and kind of like get the answer you need. And now you're confirming what a part of you wants to believe on some level anyway. That you're feeling really seen and held for the first time. And and um, keep going. <laughs> And,
1: um, yeah, and so after that, I I kind of, um, after the trip, after the movies, after the confirmation bias that you're talking about, things kind of escalated, and we ended up um, having a healing session, actually, like, we used to have lots of healing sessions with Satnam Rasayan, right? And they did help me a lot. No? Like whenever I was feeling really, um, like sometimes I, I used to to get images of, of bad things happening. No, Like if I was driving a car, I saw like myself having an accident, like a terrible accident or things like that. No, um, Or whenever I saw sometimes like movies, uh, like action movies or like, Afterwards, I, I was started like closing my eyes and I started having like visions of 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 death and horrible things, no. So with satnam Rasayan, like uh, I did feel it helped stop these things for for a bit. So it was something I looked for a lot with Tahirit for him to do these healing sessions with me, no. So we were having and at first it was just satnam rasayan and afterwards like it started morphing into like uh how about you also do satnam rasayan for me and we do some kind of massaging you know afterwards etc so in one of these healing sessions um i remember like he started like actually touching me i don't exactly remember where <laughs> like i think i have it blocked out <laughs> um because i don't remember I-, I i remember it was some where in my my back I know he immediately said like I'm sorry I cannot do this I cannot be your teacher anymore I think I'm in love with you and you know like I, I'm just it's just like this is going out of control you no know? but somehow I don't remember the, the memory time frame you know but I remember like being also like in, in shock you know in the last episode you had your guests talk about how it was like flight, fight, or freeze. <laughs> and I also remember myself freezing completely. And in my head, I was thinking, like, this can't be happening again. This can't be happening again, you know? But I remember I couldn't do anything about it, <laughs> you know? Like, and I don't remember when that happened exactly. I, I just remembered it happened in, in some time, you know? Um, yeah and i was really really like confused uh, at the time like jay thing singh was different in in the way he handled like he he made a point of being different from other um uh, kundalini teachers in the way that he said that many teachers had lots of like students that they they went out with but that they, they didn't um acknowledge them publicly and that uh, even Yogi Bhajan also slept with his secretaries but like it was also all under the rug kind of thing you know and that he wanted to do things differently and that he wanted to to give me my place and that he wanted to like start this relationship and even even if like the whole community was against it like he was like willing to to like give me my
0: place no like meaning i'm willing to go public i'm not going to keep you as a secret mistress i'm willing to change my life and have you at the center of it with me and as if that's um less of a violation of the teacher student or of the counselor um yeah and, and noble right so like noble and yet not complete right um not really, right?
1: And it was like a huge package for me because, like, right. like there was like um, afterwards, there was a, like we had. He started moving things around so that he went. His wife was in in India by the time, at the time that this thing happened with him, right? So he was moving things so that he could go to India and tell directly to his wife what was going on and divorce her or or separate from her. And like it was like a huge thing for me because like I couldn't say, no, I don't want it any anymore, you know, because like I had given some kind of steps or or indication that I did want some kind of relationship with him or some uh, that I had some kind of attraction with him. So I could not back down or back 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 away from that, you know. However, I like there was the, the first time that we had actually sex, like I remember not liking it at all. And I remember like saying, I really don't want to be in a relationship with this guy. Like, I, I like, after having sex, it was like I saw so clearly that he was I didn't I wasn't attracted to him. He was too old for me, like, it, it just didn't work, you know, like, but I couldn't say, like, you know, this is not what I want, you know, right now. Because all of these thing was going on and set up in, in March, you know?
0: I want to just emphasize and pause here. For those that don't understand what it means to be sexually violated and abused, um, it literally can feel like your insides are screaming, no, 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 no. And your outsides are completely frozen and all that can come out is, okay. And it's a really hard thing to explain why that's the case. But I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. And at this point, it's a steamroller forward. I want to emphasize that in a world, a long history of secrecy and infidelity and a long history of secrecy of the student, teacher, counselor, student relationship, including all the way back to like the early 70s and 3HO, there was a lot of infidelity, a lot of people sleeping around, a lot of, of kind of the Wiseman teacher and the Wiseman healer and the normalization of this little level of abuse that just kind of went on in secrecy. And so what I hear you saying is that he was doing the best he could to bring this into the fold of the public. So he's thinking he's doing the right thing by bringing this forward. And it's almost like a steamroller over you and you don't even know how to not. And yet a part of you is like in conflict. Like, yes, a part is is connected and attracted and feels seen and met. And another part is completely collapsed and not sure what to do.
1: And also like the, the 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 pivotal point is that by that time I was asking him almost everything like should I do this? Should I do that? You know like like he was having so much power on my everyday decisions. You know? And I was asking him for for that guidance. You know so it was it was like when this thing happened, and I was like, ah, oh, I need to say this, and and like I tried to to explain to him, you know, like I wasn't so sure I wanted the relationship, you know, like I didn't want to be as blatant as, you know, I didn't like having sex with you. I, I don't I'm not I think I'm not attracted to you, you know. I think it was just like some kind of projection, you know? <laughs> psychological projection. I didn't want to be as 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 blatant as that, you know. But I tried telling him, and he. He ended up sending me with a psychologist that was also his student and that was really young and that he she had really no 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 experience in i mean she, she was really 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 young i mean she couldn't like understand what was happening like wow. completely you know and and he started like making even fun of me like he used to call like that i had like my Five o'clock hour where I started having doubts about everything, you know, and he, 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 he thought that I was having doubts because of the age gap, you know, and because I wasn't like ready to, 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 to assume the age gap within, uh, like publicly, you know.
0: Jeez. Right. The, so, this was a secret relationship you guys were having for a little mm-hmm. while. And how long did that go on secretly before he started making moves to bring it public?
1: No, it was really little, like probably one month or even less than one oh, month. It was quickly. like it, it was very quickly. Like he, he made a point not to keep it secret exactly because he was trying to make things right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Be in the so, light versus the dark of these infidelity things that that, again, have a very long history. We're talking about, you're, you're talking about 2007-ish when all this is happening. And we're talking about, you know, a good 30, 40 years of, of this type of, you know, secrecy happening in many ashrams all over, you know. And then YB used to, when he would find out about an infidelity, he would make people get married or he would swap marriages and make this person marry that. So there's a long history of when, you know, let's say, a director of an ashram was sleeping with the yoga student he would then marry off that yoga student and th- there's with, lots somebody else. Of, with somebody else usually a lot older in age so it's almost as if she was getting punished for the director of the ashram having done these and this happened not once in a while there's lots and lots of stories but i personally know the stories of my family and my my dad's pro, um nature of doing this but there were so many more of these things it just kind of became a little normalized so i'm, I'm emphasizing this to say by 2007 in mexico city we're talking about a replication of something that's like an a, a community practice almost that most people have never talked about because it's never been talked about yeah so i wanted to say that out loud he's bringing up hey you know yogi Budge slept with the secretaries but everybody kept it under the rug so he's trying to be this like spiritual version of a spiritual teacher that says, I'm going to be public. Meanwhile, missing the fact that here you are as a, as a dependent, right? You're independent of his student. That's morphed into a counselor relationship. Um, and there's already been sexual experiences in your counseling. Sat number science sessions. Okay. So now he's wanting to go public. Now what?
1: Yeah. So he decided to go public. His wife, um, he had a wife, he had three children, he had three girls uh, who were actually, one was older than me and two were, no, two were older than me and one was younger than me. And uh, so it was like, uh, and, and they were a respected couple in the in the 3HL community. So yeah, like we received lots of backlash uh, from from going public. And, um, yeah, it was really hard. Like, his wife came back, and he she went to the ashram, and she started, uh, she was really upset with me. Uh, so <laughs> she started, like, um, I guess trying to confront me, but it felt more like uh, insulting me <laughs> in some ways. And, yeah, so... It was really hard. Some other teachers that that I had known in that brief period I stayed in the ashram, one of them uh, kind of felt it was abuse, Uh, and she said, like, you know, I don't think it's normal. You should really, like, uh, look into yourself. What, What are you feeling? Be really honest with yourself and at least write it, I mean, even if it's really small, you know? But she, she she didn't have, like, enough power, I guess, to do anything about it. I think she was the one who went with the Kalsa Council, with the, the Ethics Council, uh, to denounce what she thought she was abused. But she, as I said before, like, the, the, the Ethics Council just called him in, and they they actually listened to him like personally. She he went to to I, I don't know Espanol or I don't, I don't remember where, but he went with them, and he had like a hearing with five people. And there were a couple of emails sent, and and I did tell him, you know, like I think I I should talk with them also. I think they should hear me out, and uh, I don't know what happened to that. Uh, because, of course, they never contacted me and <laughs> they never heard me out. Um, my father also got super mad and he immediately said it was like an abusive relationship, you know, that he had no no right to be in that relationship because he was a teacher, you know, and that he 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 was in a power dynamic with me and that. that it was abuse you no know? no matter what he said no matter if he said that he was in love with me or that i was in love with him like i i had no no right of being in love with him because i was his student and i was in a very vulnerable position and i came there to to look for help with with a psychological or psychic problem well and
0: you shared very intimate and personal things which then was a part of the lack of a better word, grooming process of creating a level of, of trust and connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that like the problem also lies between like, I, I don't know if only Jay Hardy or, or in general, you know, people like wanting to do coaching sessions, wanting to do, um, healing sessions without actually having, a professional preparation to do this you know because in psychology there's this thing called projection and it's very clear when someone projects onto you things that are not yours and especially affection and attraction and and that's when when you need to put distance you know and and also afterwards i went to a really good psychologist and she never never ever told me what to do like not in one session you know like it was all questioning myself and and myself looking for the answers and she was just reflecting back what i was saying she never once told me you should do this or you shouldn't do this you know and and it's a thing i keep seeing everywhere you know like not only in in kundalini yoga but people like auto proclaiming you know like i found this (laughs) this Thing that works and you should do it too and
0: try right.
1: but it's, i don't see any professional qualifications of, of for
0: coaching or healing or <laughs> i think you're pointing out kind of like the self-proclaimed shamans or the self-proclaimed you know coach or coaches or healers or whatever and what that leaves us very susceptible to is to give our personal power away to um to people that don't actually have licenses or training in, you know, psych, psychology or psychosomatic understanding of any of these things, and so one can get the title of like yogic this or this special healer or this special name of this special new healing or that modality, and that it's like a setup, and we have to start really um, paying more attention to that that these aren't housed in real schools of, of thought.
1: Yeah, and I, I think also, like, there there are two things. Like, one, the responsibility of, of oneself, like, even having finding healing with your own self and having a, found a path of healing, like, you still need more tools to be able to give them to others, you know, and, and you still need more tools to... Like, there's a body of knowledge out there, you know, that people have tried and people have have, you know, developed. So, like if you really are serious or or if I wanted to go into that line, I think it would be necessary for me to also form myself in these other techniques in this other, you know, it's not only my kind of healing, it's putting my, my healing practice and my healing journey in a bigger, broader spectrum of what healing is for the civilization that we're living in. You know, Mm -hmm. afterwards, like around two thousand and fifteen, I had a really traumatic experience again because, again, I I um I was pregnant and um, I started being really uh, like in like I had this idealization about parteras uh, like natural uh, birth birth wives
0: midwives you know that give uh, birth naturally so you're Uh, within the whole kundalini lifestyle you're together with him and you're pregnant that's what you're describing no
1: no that this happened afterwards like i'm Uh, just putting an example that happened like lots of time afterwards after i like i ended i ended ended, another I ended up breaking up with him like 2014. I'm sorry.
0: I ended up getting pregnant with another person. Like and I was clarifying. So you're giving us a story after you had broken it off, jumping forward, you're yeah. pregnant, and you're really overly obsessed with a natural childbirth. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: And so I looked for an indigenous midwife, again, falling for the thing, you know, like uh, this is someone who by experience knows all these things, etc. no? And in the end, I ended up losing my my child at childbirth because, like, the, the the time passed, you know, and she did not, she didn't have the tools to measure my my my, you know, and it was a really really hard experience for me to 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 swallow. But in the end, it was the same lesson, you know, like you cannot only go by experience, you know. You, there's a professional field of knowledge out there and you have to use it, you know? It's not only trust the people that, that have the experience and that have the, the auto-proclaimed uh, profession of doing this thing, you know? So I think it's important not only not to fall victim of these things, these schemes, but also as oneself as as a as a person who has gone through healing, you know, also not fall like a uh, victim of wanting to just share this without some certain context or level of
0: professionalism. Yeah, <laughs> and what I hear you saying is basically nothing. Is all the answers and make sure that experience is one aspect of a body of knowledge but there's also academics and there's researchers and there's science and there's other aspects and this is what it means to be a critical thinker is we can hold the ideal of what we want and yet we also have to know that there's large long histories of bodies of knowledge that we can learn from other people's experiences and we don't have to just cling to the mystical projection of what's possible, we can also ground that in the reality of science and medicine and other people's experiences that we don't have to go trial and error. Exactly. Or trauma and we- to trauma yeah exactly exactly so yeah It's profound what you're saying because essentially it means there's nothing out there that is the answer and we have the answer and yet we have to take all the information to account we can't just take our spiritual self we have to be grounded in the reality that there are trained professionals when it comes to mental health there are trained professionals when it comes to birthing there are trained professionals when it comes to Uh, nutrition to medicine to whatever it is and healing from sexual trauma as well and professionals don't always have the answer either they're a part of the answer so nobody nobody has the answer as you
1: said nobody has the answer but yourself and you need to really like be grounded in in looking at the evidence reality is, is giving you, no, and, and to say, okay, I need to take this into account and also this into account and also this into account. But I see lots of people, like myself included, no, once you got married with this philosophy or ideology or anything, you took everything else out, <laughs> you know. And it doesn't work that way. It just it's
0: not real. It's it and it's not useful for your life. And that there are signs or signals that we can pay attention to. For instance, when you brought up that he was giving you a specific advice, but when you found a trained psychologist, she never did that. So we can start learning how to notice symptoms where, oh, wow, you know, the the atmosphere is getting me to give up my power. I think it's getting me closer to myself, but it's actually relinquishing um, my sense of, of personal power.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I guess your your consciousness like in the end, I mean it was really hard for me to to understand what I was feeling and what I was thinking because that was my problem to begin with. Like I didn't know how to recognize my own voice. So it took me a long time to understand what I was thinking and and feeling, you
0: know. But I think this is also so it's so important because when we're in a fragile state, whether sexually or emotionally or psychologically, and we seek out healers, we have to know that there are a lot of predatory healers out there. And people that are in the healing profession, whether certified or self-proclaimed, they have their own unprocessed trauma. And so we have to hold on to ourselves more and more because I can't tell you the amount of times I've been violated in healing sessions and didn't do anything about it. Like it's, it's actually astounding to me that, that I'm saying this out loud, that this is true, but it's more normalized than I've led myself to believe. And I know it's because I've come from a community where there was no sense of personal boundaries. Hmm. Yeah. So this is again, something like you brought up. This is not just it's in 3HO. Yeah. Institutionally, also, I mean, in 3HO, I think. Like this process of
1: certification should also include some kind of um, psychological background, some kind of anatomical background. You know, I've seen also teachers do things with the body that are not meant to be done. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and and they have really no background in, in in those things. And just because you know you read one book, then you're thinking you can go into people's lives and. I don't know. It's it's not Mm-mm. institutionally. I think there should be also some kind of uh, uh, rethinking of what teacher means and or trainer means, you no, know? and and mm-hmm. and what boundaries are not meant to be crossed as a
0: teacher, as a healer, as a you no. Know? Absolutely, I can't agree more i can't and and one of those
1: one of those uh boundaries are you shouldn't be able to tell people what to do with their lives (laughs) you know it's just not I,
0: i don't think it's it's healthy yeah and i want to add on top of that sometimes telling you what to do can be disguised in auto suggestion and so what i feel like that a lot of these counselor types do including my own father is You know really used philosophical spiritual language as a way to kind of suggest into students and in these kind of like really um emotionally wounded places like when you're trusting your counselor and speaking about deep levels of trust issues by then sharing a story of my own trust issues I'm creating this bond of connection as you've spoken about this is the subtle, this is the subtlety of grooming and it's whether it's grooming through a counselor healer relationship this can happen to any one of us in any setting where we feel like a level of trust and um, and this person is actually crossing crossing our own boundaries and we don't know it and there's a level of familiarity to it because we come from a long history of that same abuse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's very convoluted and confusing um and like you're saying it's all interwoven into the teacher into the training network like and there's not a lot of stop gaps to prevent that
1: yeah and in fact actually most people that are attracted to Kundalini Yoga are in some some way traumatized. I mean, they're trying to heal some way, you know, and they haven't found that healing in other places. And so it's like a it's a recipe for disaster, you know, because you're giving them like this higher status or like whenever and they're not really healed. You know, they're not
0: really prepared to. Yeah. And instead of empowering an embodied approach to feeling our sensory body and feeling our feelings, we're cut off from our emotions and kind of taught to override our own needs and wants and kind of seek that externally, whether that's in the teacher-student relationship. Yeah.
1: And and about the disembodiment, like I've been also like thinking a lot about this uh, asexual image of the woman in (laughs) kundaini yoga, no, like, like,
0: yeah,
1: asexual and without identity, you know, like, like, it's as if you put a uniform and then, like, you're all the same, (laughs) you know, and yeah, that was also a process of, like, realizing, you know, no, I want to look at my face, I want to look in the mirror, and I want to, like, how do I want to look, how do I want to present myself, you know, like, Um, hair is an important part of that,
0: you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just subtle coding that slowly kind of moves us away from a sense of self and centering and identity and gives us a different sense of self and centering, but it's actually not in our, located in our own body. Exactly. 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 Which is a really tough thing because I remember when I started to notice this in my own body, my mind was telling me otherwise. So I was trained to believe that what my body was telling me was wrong and that this was right. And so it was a real tough one because like what you're saying, like it was a deep lack of trust internally to how do I know my resonance? And I never knew my resonance because I was always born without knowing my own resonance
1: yeah and I, I i guess i have to 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 thank when when prempka's book came out and like all these yogi bhajan's um myths came tumbling down i guess one of the most important things that happened within me was like i stopped giving um uh, credibility to all of the things that he said that were right or were wrong you know like i remember uh, eating eggs are wrong for a woman you know like if they can they produce like it i don't know it said something like (laughs) whatever whatever, yeah (laughs) they all like every time i ate an egg like i had that resonating in my mind you know like eggs are wrong for a woman and like that many examples you know even sexual sexual examples you know like you should have sex some many times uh, a month you know one time a month you know and so many things that you know like it it makes no sense
0: now you know. know when I was a kid I was like that's gotta be wrong you, know? <laughs> you gotta be able to have sex more often because everybody's doing it and it uh, <laughs> just doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah so then what'd you do when you started noticing that that was in your head oh like all these different teachings what did you do to counteract that
1: um this has been recent and it, it has just being like no that's that's wacko you know just just what do i think is real from my own experience you know and and just like trashing this whole thing completely you know like no like what do
0: i think is real you know from my own experience mm-hmm. so you're saying since reading that book like you had already done so much processing ended the relationship in 2014 by 2018 working with your psychologist um starting to recognize it as abusive like oh wow i didn't actually consent like was that part of the process yeah i worked with my psychologist actually while i was
1: with him like from 2010 or 2011 from like 2015 more or less you know and uh I recognized, like, she was very, very, very gentle with me. And until 2018, I stopped seeing her for, like, three years, 2015 to, like, 2018. Mm. And in 2018, I was watching a documentary uh, about uh, one of the survivors of Michael Jackson, and he was describing how he was in love with Michael Jackson, but he still recognized afterwards that it was abuse because he was, like, eight or nine years old when he was having a relationship with, with Michael Jackson, right? And that's when it hit me. And I was like, yeah, well, it doesn't matter if I was attracted to him in a way, you know, it still was abuse, you know, because many times I was like, no, well, I I kind of gave uh, foot or I kind of gave entrance to him because I was attracted to him. And then I was like, no, because there was a power dynamic present, you know, and he was telling me what to do with my life in many ways. And yeah, whenever I tried to tell him that I really didn't want a relationship, he always, like,
0: led me to believe otherwise, you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and so it sounded like when things started coming out, like in the Me Too movement in the world, and you started to see other examples of abuse, say, in the world of power dynamics involved, it gave you a reflection into yourself to say, it doesn't matter how I participated because I was the inferior person in this dynamic, whatever that means—whether a child to an adult, whether a student to a teacher, whether a counselor to their um, patient. Yeah, and this is very important because when we are constantly only in bearing witness to being gaslit and being told that it's our fault that we that it was really us or our in our imagination. And in a culture that breeds that, whether that's the patriarchal culture or whether that's the unique yoga culture of 3HO or reinforced from both, yeah. we can't sometimes even recognize abuse as abuse for decades until we're like, oh, and this is what I hear you saying, like through the world evolving, you got to then see, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter if I've been wrestling with whether it's this, that, or the other, it's still abuse. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And in recognizing it as abuse, I was also recognizing that like, the sexual imprint that it left on me, you know, because I was in a relationship for six years having sex with someone I really didn't want to have sex with for six years. So every time I had sex with him, it was like having to go in this mental state like, okay, think about something else or like, you know, because I wasn't really attracted to him. You know, so like I had to bypass somehow my own emotions and able to have sex with him and go into a state where I was like. Present, but not present, you know, because I was sexually aroused, but at the same time, I was not emotionally present, you know, I I couldn't be. You know, so that left a, a very traumatic imprint in my sexual life which i'm still struggling now
0: to <laughs> to eradicate in, in many yeah. ways to unwind because it's it's a convoluted twist just going back to how our body registers you know it's registering it both, a, both as nurturing and violation yes and no and then the body holds this imprint where we can't actually tell the difference
1: yeah yeah and and, and i mean in all these six years, there were also, like, there was a relationship forming, like a, like a a true relationship, like a friendship relationship in a way, you know, and, and in a way, I stopped looking at him as my teacher, you know, very, like, very soon after I started sleeping with him, like, I started noticing all the, um, incongruencies that he taught and that he lived you know and I was like I can't follow this guy I mean come on (laughs) like what is he saying (laughs) and like I remember at first he he used to tell me to go to his classes still you know like while dating him I had to attend class and sit at the front with him and very soon I was like no I can't do this you know because like I get really mad at what you're saying because I just think it's full of Bullshit, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> wow. he, we, we, we stopped doing that like really, really early
0: on. now were you teaching or did he just carry on teaching? I taught a couple of times. I, I didn't teach regularly.
1: Um, at first I was in the ashram. I, I I was he put me in this same position that his wife was in. Like I was the director of the ashram with him which was really, really hard for me. And I, I, like, very soon told him that I didn't want that. <laughs> and we ended up moving out of the afram really soon. Okay. Because, I mean, people were coming, like, older than me. And, like, how could I help them? You know, <laughs> like, it was just ridiculous in many, many ways, you know, so, like, so, mm. so that stopped pretty pretty much. Mm. But we became really isolated, I guess, as a couple. Mm. Uh, Yeah. And also there's like a side story here. Like very early on, when I was in the ashram, I still wasn't dating him. And he asked if my mother could invest in a business that he had, in a yoga business that he had. And like internally, I was like, no, I think this is a bad idea. You know, but I was so caught up with doing what he, he said, you know, that I said, I spoke to my mom and I said like, hey, you know, he thinks that you should invest in him. Why don't you come talk with him, etc. No, and she ended up investing in this yoga business, which ended up um, crashing, <laughs> and 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 yeah, it was just a big failure, and it ended up crashing just when I started uh, going out with him in this relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he lost lots of credibility as a yoga teacher, etc. No, so like the yoga center also went went very bad. It, it was also a bad invest, investment in many ways, you know, I, I don't want to go into details with that. But, uh, but I feel also responsible for for, like, putting my mother in that situation. You know? <laughs> it was a bad idea.
0: And I knew it. But I just couldn't, you know, like, say, Yeah, have voice have voice against it. Yeah. So what was it or do you have anything you want to share in terms of um what started giving you the strength to i mean you're in the relationship for a while from 2017 to the 14 what started giving you the strength to start leaving were there certain things that was happening
1: i guess i i started feeling like whenever i was with him i was really really uncomfortable you know like i saw how people looked at us uh I I felt really ridiculous going out with him. <laughs> like the age difference was like so big, you know, like uh it was I just didn't feel well, you know, when whenever I was going out with him. So I started looking for my own like sphere of, of work and away from him, you no, know? away from what he was doing. And um and it was becoming more obvious to me that whenever I was with him, I could not speak, you know, like he was important one. He, 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 he used to have like, um, manage many 3HO groups, uh, uh, music groups. So they came to Mexico, they, they, we met them, uh, et cetera. We, we, I mean, it was a nice experience in, in some ways, but in other ways, like I knew I wasn't like really uh, participating as me, you know? I was always like <laughs> like something just going on, on along with him, but they didn't pay attention to me, like, like what I was feeling as myself, you know? Like I couldn't speak, I couldn't speak. And I remember like, sitting in conversations and actually counting the time that he spoke and <laughs> the time that I spoke, you know, and it was ridiculous. I was like, you know, I'm not being seen here. I'm not being like, uh, <laughs> you know, but he, he, whenever I told him that, he was like, well, it's normal, you know, I'm like this super guy and I have like all this experience and I'm older than you and it's normal that they don't, you know, it's, but I just didn't feel it was something I, wanted to be a part of you know like that's not how i wanted to live my life especially because i was li- living all these other experiences where i was having like more uh, like a normal interaction with other people you know <laughs> um so i got to compare i guess right and um and then also it was really important at, at the end of our relationship we went to uh, to a trip with with uh, Deva Premal and Mitten also like in the music business and stuff and they are uh, they have also a, an age a big age gap they have like 20 20 years age gap right
0: who are these musicians you're saying
1: musicians yeah <laughs> they're they're uh, and Many times I felt like judged by other people, you know, and I felt that I didn't want to be with him around other people because I felt judged by other people. But this this couple, a- and they travel with a guy called Manos also, and they are the least judgmental people I've ever known in my life. I mean, they 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 really live in a world of like singing and like music and like they they really and because they also have a big age gap difference i mean but, like i didn't feel judged by them but i still didn't feel uncomfortable around <laughs> you know i still felt like something wasn't right mm-hmm. and that was like a big point for me and then like just three months afterwards i met like uh someone called carrie portes who is like um, a psychic medium for like animals or something like that? And she she had like a conversation with my with myself and my grandmother. And my my grandmother told me in that session that like it was as important how I felt than that than what they had Singh felt. You know, like. Like she knew that I wasn't really comfortable in the relationship, and I that I just didn't want to end it because I didn't want to hurt him, you know. And and she was like, "Well, you know, how about hurting yourself? You know, you keep on hurting yourself, and and where do you stand? You know." Yeah. yeah. And so that was like a big, yes, uh, cathartic point for me. I started crying, and afterwards, I. I quickly broke up with him, but it must have lasted like one month or two months
0: more. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Were you still practicing kundalini yoga and in the community at this point or when you stopped that, you just moved on? I stopped
1: practicing kundalini yoga in the community pretty early on. I mean, I, I kept my own practice, but I stopped like giving classes and like uh, with a bunny, you know, like I felt those were all like external things that really didn't matter at, at, at that point in my experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I kept my personal practice up until
0: what, uh, last year, I think. Mm-hmm. When all this came fully out. Yeah. So you're doing your own practice, you had left him, obviously weren't in the community or the scene. but began the slow unraveling process to just get back to you, whatever that meant, and get support and counseling and started a a reclamation process to like even feel what was happening all this time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I didn't do it consciously. I mean, it wasn't the only thing
0: I was doing. No, it just happens. Life. Yeah. Like life starts happening and then you start noticing and getting help and counseling. So then was the Premka book like with all that was just kind of like major opening for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was like seeing that this wasn't an isolated case, mm. you know, and that it was yeah, like something that came with the structure of Kundalini, you know, that 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 the structure itself permitted this kind of uh, abuse. Mm. You know, and, and yeah, putting yourself out there uh, for others to do with your life, whatever they want, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Have you been in communication with him again since all of this?
1: Yeah, I... I... First, before Premka's book came out, like I actually wanted to explore with him this issue of abuse more and and to know from his side what what he perceived were his wrongdoings or what what were his shortcomings so that this abuse happened, you know? And and yeah, and, and yeah, at the time I, I told him I think it was abuse, I, I see it as abuse now, and he was like okay, this is like the first time I'm, I'm hearing this. I did not know it was abuse. I didn't ever think it was abuse. I did not know you didn't want to be in a relationship, no, like he was really like taking it back, no? And uh, after Premka's book, I talked to him again, and I was like, so this is this this is abuse stuff. And on, uh, on addition, um, trying to heal this sexual thing, you know, that happened because of the abuse. And and, uh, and I proposed to him that we kind of write something together so that, you know, we can tell the story from both sides. Uh, and I told him also that I wasn't uh, like, that I felt it was really bad for him to continue teaching like giving uh, counseling to people, like like telling them what to do, you know? And he said, well, I cannot not tell them what to do if they ask for it, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) I just think it's so... And yeah, right now, like, whenever we started the conversation, I was, like, feeling thinking should I have told him you know that I was going to do this interview <laughs> so that, that you understand the level of like um power that he had within my decisions you know because really I told him everything like should I do this should I do that should I you know
0: <clears throat> yeah I do know I do know It's, I guess I really want to speak to, let me, well, before that, let me ask. So did he respond? Did he, did he participate in this process with you? After, yeah.
1: He said he was open to participating. Um, he said that we, he really had no, no um, knowledge beforehand, that he didn't do it knowingly. Uh, that he there was like no no malice in, in him doing what he did that it was more like unconsciousness and ignorance and that he was trying to to uh, correct whatever practices led to this no like for example the massaging and the healing sessions and the um, but that if I came forward and accused him of abuse that he would like also give his own, like uh perception that it wasn't abuse as such i I think i somehow understood i I mean he still teaches he still lives lives as a teacher he
0: you know the lifestyle all that the lifestyle and the
1: money behind it you know like he he's not dedicating himself to another thing i mean that's his primary income right Mm -hmm. so i understand that he he cannot um suddenly change completely what he
0: does and what he yeah so for listeners for all of us i just want to remind us that it's very easy to um buy into the narrative that this is an isolated incident with an isolated teacher and what i want to speak out loud is that i haven't um including my own father i want to say that yoga teachers or um you know, the older wise man or the healer persona, these, these personas, I, I haven't seen a lot of self-responsibility for saying, oh, wow, that's violating. And yet we're hearing a lot of stories on the other end of violations that have occurred. So I'm pointing out that um, it's through the storytelling that we realize there's a, a narrative or a tapestry or a long history of it. And we have to acknowledge every voice that's coming forward to see that tapestry because it's very easy to put it back on to the student to say they were just as involved in the relationship as anybody else. But what we're seeing in this healer teacher persona that's predatory is the fact that it is a position of power and trust that automatically makes it a violation.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's an asymmetry of power that's huge, you know. And uh, right now, for example, I, I m- the work that I do is has to do a lot with education and teachers in a normal setting, you know, teacher students in a normal setting. And right now, what I think is that no matter if you know if th- there's a fifty year old teacher and a twenty year old student or a fifteen year old student. <laughs> Like there's no way that's a normal relationship, you know. And even if a student is like willing to, to have a relationship or sex with the with the teacher, there's no way you can accept that as a as an institution, you know. It's it's just wrong in many levels, you know.
0: Yes, right. Like, that's right. And that's where, you know, really um, doing, you know, psychological evaluations, all the things you're talking about for these things to be actually be levels of training versus just personas that can, people can carry on with. And and the reason I keep bringing up my father around this is all the way up till when he passed, he would have never admitted that he was he was violating several different women because they were of age. They were yoga students that supposedly consented. And he had multiple affairs. And the reason I'm bring that up is even outside of 3HO, he carried on this wise man persona in other communities that he went to. And he never owned his own violations of and predatory behavior of of young women that looked up to him, that were his counseling students or counseling sessions that turned into sexual um you know, what I consider sexual abuse, but sexual experiences with between him and other and his counseling patients. So in all the ways this shows up, whether it's in 3HO or in other places, remember, you know, it's not your fault and your voice matters. And, and it's important that we're speaking up about these power dynamics because it is not consent. The basis of consent means that it's based on violation from the get go.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I want to point out that way, I mean, it's, it, it was a really hard experience because most of the people actually, yeah, like blamed it on me, you know, like, even if, if, like, it was really ridiculous seeing our, uh, like, the couple that we made, you know, like, you could see it wasn't a couple <laughs> in in many ways, and still nobody had, like, the courage to to speak out, I mean, like, I want to say that it's very difficult to bring that person out of that abusive relationship, even if many people can see it's abuse. You know, like it's not easy to 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 help this person or to to bring her or him out of this relationship uh, because of the the big influence that this this other this predator has. You know, and and right. in your
0: mind. And that just because it's normalized somewhere doesn't make it right. And this is a part of what speaking up about this kind of power dynamic is really all about is because violation, again, the body registers violation, even if we don't have words to explain it, even if we don't have cognitive memory to explain it, the body knows when we're being violated. And we ultimately do know, which is what I heard when your grandma's talking to you, like, what about you? You yeah. matter in this equation, too.
1: Yeah. And, and and I also have to say that this this grand persona that, that yogis used to to violate and go around life, I think it's also kind of like a prison to them, you know, because um, whenever I started dating and like they had using, used this excuse of wanting to go public with me and to make things right, to actually just try and do something that he wanted to do long time ago <laughs> which was like get separated and live a, a, a more free life you know but the fact that he has to be this wise man and this teacher and this it doesn't let him be free in in many ways and try other experiences and it's not bad to to be in love with someone younger it's bad to play the power dynamics to get that you know (laughs)
0: like (laughs) and to use that as your train to personal freedoms that he probably wanted long before meeting you and you were the train that said oh my gosh right i hear you on that absolutely absolutely people are getting stuck into their own personas which i think happens a lot in power dynamic situations whether somebody's a preacher or a minister or Mm -hmm. you know it's like this what I identified as the public-private life persona. One of the reasons I resisted being a teacher for so long is because I witnessed my dad struggle with that public-private life. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to live that lie. And he did. He had to live a lie most of the time, thinking that he had to play some public role. And meanwhile, he has all these internal issues that he wasn't able to, like, live up to his own ideals
1: yeah and exactly and most mostly because this public role is attached to money you know <laughs> like they're selling this these services and
0: yeah yeah so one that it's attached to money it's attached to the identity that they've crafted in the world so the more it's wrapped up to their financial livelihood the harder it is to allow it to crack but in addition it's also just an identity that's a really hard one to let go of you know it's like this, this always knowing persona, it's kind of it goes back to a couple episodes ago where somebody had realized, wow, if I'm not wearing this outer form, I'm not feeling like people are going to call me holy or spiritual. And, and she had to like check herself and be like, Oh, my God, why do I want people to see me as holy or spiritual. And yet, are these questions we ask about ourselves or are these teachers asking them about themselves? What happens if they take off the turban or don't have the holy wise men persona? Will they get access to people to heal them as much or to do these things, which is a part of the predatory formula. It doesn't have to be. If you're in alignment and you're wearing an external dress that supports your calling, bless you. But oftentimes these are used as the external persona that we don't even know is being used and then we get pulled into this kind of archetype of also knowing out there tell me what to do let me submit
1: yeah and and it's a validation also that you know i am uh, submitting myself also to another teacher, you know, I, I tell you what to do, but I am also submitting myself to a higher being, also you know? a higher consciousness, you know, and and this thing about the lower and the higher consciousness, no, I think it's just consciousness, you know, there's no higher and lower consciousness, it's just consciousness and it's yours and it's individual consciousness. And, and you know,
0: it... hold on, it's just consciousness and it's yours. That is it. It's your consciousness. Don't all other people let them hijack your consciousness or hook themselves into your consciousness. And this Mm -hmm. is a part of the predation. This is a part of the predatory formula of the gurus, of the, uh, you know, the all wise knowing folks that want to say, hey, I know something that's better for you. And we willingly do it because it's just plain easier than it is to cultivate our own will.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and it's hard, man. It's hard to recognize your own voice and and know what's your consciousness from other consciousness and you know, and still be able to share points of view, different points of view, and from that have like some kind of uh, conclusion, you know. But I, I think it's the only way ultimately to really be be grounded and, and honest with what you <laughs>
0: congruent with what you believe in congruent congruent. that's a big word being congruent i think at 15 when i left i left because i wasn't interested because it wasn't congruent um and yet the teachings like as teaching training goes on and, and as you got a hold of the teachings in an entirely different country right um it it's interwoven with these power dynamics. I mean, even the oath of the teacher, right? I am not this, I am not this, I am not this, I'm not myself, right? I am a teacher. And the emphasis on you have to have a teacher, you have to have a teacher. And and then not all teachers, but a lot of especially male teachers, but plenty of women teachers that have become more male-ish, um, take on the telling what to do persona that yb initiated
1: mm-hmm.
0: right so it's like do this do this as if they know more about you because they can see into your Kashic records or into your karma and this in and of itself is predatory this isn't yeah,
1: like now that you're saying for example this one teacher female teacher that that knew that what Jai Hari Singh was doing was abuse, and, and she called on to the ethics committee and blah, blah, blah. She also was telling me what to do, <laughs> you know? And, like, she set me up to do this 40-day diet that ended up, like, really messing up my, my uh, kidney because, you know, I didn't go out of it properly, you know? And up to this day, like, I have problems with my kidney because of that, you know? And, and yeah, so it's, it's something that's set up in, in the whole system, you know? So even if you have like very good intentions and whatever, I just think it's wrong to be able to tell people what to do. You know, just,
0: it's, it just sets up people for really horrible experiences. Yeah. And I think a way to spin that around for ourselves is to ask ourselves in what areas am I seeking other people to tell me what to do? and why does that feel better than cultivating it myself and i know when i've examined this part of myself i realized there was plenty of other areas that i was wanting other people to tell me what to do and it was unconscious but when all this came open with premka and the book i do have to say that for the first time i was able to see the formulas or the kriyas themselves as predatory because I could see how, oh, we're just using them as a way to be told what to do. We're not thinking, you know, like, oh, do this, and this is how it makes me feel. Instead, it's like, oh, this is supposed to do this. Okay, let me do this. Instead of evaluating, how does this make me feel? Does this feel like it's grounding me in my body? Does it get me in touch with my emotions? Am I able to feel the sensations? Or am I actually just training myself into a state where I'm not feeling anything again? And I never asked myself those questions before. I mm-hmm. I was examining this level of stuff in myself, but it wasn't until after 2020 that I even looked like, wow. I used to think that the name of the Kriyas were so great. Like, oh, you don't have to think. You can just open the book and do da 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 Yeah. And now that you're
1: saying it also like, you need the teacher to continue doing what your body is telling you not to do you know because it hurts <laughs> you know <laughs> and like i always thought it was funny like like the housing always like no the teacher used to like yell at people so that they would finish the 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 crillas, you know and that was like something great because you like got carried with him you know yeah well it's kind of military style you know <laughs> like <laughs> and and I'm not sure, you know, you really want to to go through the energy field that way, you know? Like, yeah, because it's not conscious again,
0: you know? Exactly. I, I really want to point out that there's there's power in putting ourselves under pressure and putting the nervous system under pressure. And there's a lot of science to these things. But within our own self-regulating capacity to feel our nervous system, to know our own pulse and ground, and and so it's there's there's a place for ourselves in this. In fact, we're a central part of that place. That no technique or modality or healer or teacher should be the answer to like the seeking answer that is the all-knowing. Instead, we are the all-knowing, and this modality might help us along the way, or it may not, and we should be able to be able to tell the difference versus relinquishing ourselves to it. And
1: and now that you're saying, I mean, I also identify that there was, like, this fear of, like, if I stop doing the kriyas or if I stop doing the sadhana, will I have this link to spirituality? Will I I have this link to God, you know? (laughs) Like, am am I going to hell, in in a way? I mean, I stopped believing in hell the Catholic Catholic way, but, you know, in in some ways, I I still had the fear of not being good enough for God, you know? And, like, after Prampest book came out, I was like, fuck it, you know. Like, like that. I can do whatever I want. And you know, I you know, if this time was doing that, you know, I'm like, I can do whatever I want if it feels right for me, you know. And if I my way of communicating with God is another way, it's also valid, you know, like that's right. It doesn't have to be
0: Yogi Bhajan's way, you know. <clears throat> mm-hmm. This is such an important point because you know, all of the things you brought up are fear-based thoughts, right? It's like, oh my God, but if I do this, will I not get connected? And will I not have this? And will I not? And to recognize that in ourself, like, wow, no practice, you know, if I don't do it. I remember that is what came up when I had to examine cutting my own hair. Like, it was like, wow, there's so much fear here. And it doesn't matter how great a teaching is if we hold so much fear about doing, if we violated it, you know, and, and the willingness to kind of examine, wow, how does this actually make me feel? You know, I had to listen to my own guidance to stop doing Kundalini yoga for several years so that I could just start feeling my own pulse. Like that's how wound up and overriding my own system I was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to stop because it was the thing I thought kept me at my center.
1: Yeah. And now that you're saying, I also saw many teachers like, like, (laughs) <laughs> that were physically you could see them they weren't well you know that there was a teacher that, that was really thin and that like didn't eat anything um, but she kept on with the kundalini exercises and the kriyas and it but you could see that her body was not well you know and even jay hari you know like he had many many physical problems that I, I mean or many teachers that you can just see that their their physical form is not well you know but yet, because they are involved in this persona and, you know, wearing the bunny and everything, it's like, oh, okay, they must have something else that's like, um, hmm. that makes up for what I am seeing in their physical bodies that
0: are not well, you know? <laughs> the incongruencies that seem to be everywhere. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of self-trust, like really learning to see what's right in front of us to stay grounded in ourself. Um, It wasn't until this past year that I realized just how perfected I was at disassociation by design that this, that the practice of Kundalini yoga had taught me and growing up in it had taught me masterful disassociation from my body, not actual grounding in it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, which really makes us more susceptible to um, abuse patterns and relationship patterns um, that are abusive or getting involved in businesses or companies or other organizations that are um, feeding on our longing to, to belong and and feel yeah. in connection and trust were trust with other people
1: yeah and, and i don't think i'm there yet like where you are like a, where you, when you talk about embodiment and I think it's a big issue for me still to to really recognize what my body is saying. I mean, I, I don't think I'm I'm there yet. Um,
0: I want to honor you where you are because mm-hmm. you're paying attention to so much. And this is really the hardest part is to just start paying attention to what is happening, even when it doesn't make any sense or we can't have words for it. And um, I can very much relate to what you're saying because... I haven't fully shared my story here on the podcast, but when I did start getting messages that I was repeating past patterns and I started looking inward, I had no idea the amount of sexual violation my body was holding onto for my upbringing. I didn't even recognize my upbringing as traumatic back then. I recognized it as incongruent, dogmatic, corrupt, but not sadistic or abusive. And so my body, my consciousness wouldn't hold another story yet. I had to empty out some things. And that was a part of like what it meant to like reconnect to my body is this embodiment process of like, wow, I can feel emotions and let them come out. I can trust them. I can express myself. But it was a slow, slow, slow unwind. So I honor you in your place and know that your soul knows exactly what it needs. No.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Thank you. This is—it's hard work. It's really hard work to <clears throat> grow up a lifetime of of being violated, and to even name it, right? Much less much less learn to hold on to ourselves along the way.
1: Yeah, and and I guess it, like being violated, entails some uh, sense of like pain in the body you know and i can see like not wanting myself to go there because you don't want to relieve the pain or you don't want to like
0: that's right well yeah. the the body innately will hold on to it for us to preserve us right so out of support it's going to hold on to it and to actually release that means we actually have to have more capacity and safety in the body for the body to start releasing its memories. So you're really right. You know, it's like the body knows, the body keeps the score, the body remembers, and we just have to keep creating safe environments internally and externally that reminded it's safe to let the memories and the stories out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I I, I want to hold on to, to the fact that I think like in spite of all the abuse you know, and, and all the power dynamics and all the things that are shitty in 3HO, I think you still have a community, you know? And I say you, because I, I, I never felt really part of that community, you know? Like I was
0: outcast at the moment I, <laughs> I started dating the gay thing, you know? But wow. I feel like- And did you feel that just in Mexico or did you feel that worldwide? Did you, did it come out from other sources? I think it,
1: it. I felt primarily going on in Mexico. You know, like like, uh Caura and and uh, their daughters. They had like a big uh, community in Mexico, and and they they were really respected and loved. And I did not want to go there either. You know, like I, I respected that, and I I just went and did my own things outside. You know. And, yeah. And I, I like in one of the episodes that you shared I, I I really like started reflecting and I was like no there's this nice community going on uh, worldwide you know and uh, I, I I never got to to interact with it um, but you know I think that this safe space that you talk about, can be provided by this same community because there is still this same community you know and I think that's part of the effort you're doing and I think it's it's great I think it's really really something that could have lots of potential in the future (laughs) you know as as, because I mean other communities have these same patterns of abuse and everything but they don't see themselves as a community (laughs) you know and 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 they don't have the level of maturity to talk about it. And the fact that you do, uh, I think it's a very step forward uh, that that can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, that you know, we really do hope and pray for the transformative power of of community, of the possibility that we have in speaking to the violations and the and the abuse that has taken place and, and, and what it means for a community to, to come together in that level of truth and reconciliation. Um, I think that there may be a big difference between what the organizations and the entities within the organizations are, are able or capable to do in, our, in terms of transforming. But as the people of our community, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like as people, we choose whether to let these stories penetrate us. We choose whether we're going to listen to that uncomfortable conversation that basically reminds us of a period of time where maybe we went unconscious and we pretended to not see what was right there. And it brings up the tidal waves and the tsunamis of all the decades that perhaps you were involved or your family or all the things and that is courageous and by each one of us courageously listening there is the potential that our community can come through this i I do believe that wholeheartedly i also know that it's up to the individual souls to want to listen and to let themselves um, go there and so we just hold each other in the light and hope that that's the case we also hold each other in the dark
1: yeah, I think the more, the more far away you want to go from darkness, the the, <laughs> the bigger the shadow becomes, you know, <laughs> so like, yeah, many, I think that's a problem of many with these teachers, you know, that they, they tried to be so, so wise and whatever, that they had to shy, hide their darkness so much, their impulses, their real desires, you
0: know, that. Right. And just the real vulnerabilities of being scared and hurt and afraid and, angry and just all the emotions that we haven't been allowed to feel that brings our humanity back yeah you know off the pedestal and back onto the human ground with everyone else that just says you know i didn't i i never i i don't have the answers but let's yeah and you can
1: still hold the space you can still be you know meditative and you can still have like a a special connection with with energy and with uh you know like you can still do that but you don't have to be in a pedestal you know being in a pedestal is unhealthy and and yeah i think it it would be nice if
0: teachers would come out of the pedestal come off the pedestal by themselves (laughs) And it's important to understand that the training system itself is teaching this. It's teaching that level of pedestaling. It's also teaching the the keep the separation from the teacher student. You know, don't, you know, there's this whole like, you're here, they're there, you don't have this connection. Um, It's deep and it's subtle and it's all interwoven. And so it's just an important thing as students that are listening to this. It's just really important to know for you to trust your own knowing around
1: and it's inter- it's interwoven too in the in the Sikh uh interpretation of that that we do of the the Siri Guru Granth. No, I I wouldn't know if in the Sikh way in India they do this too, you know. But I, at least I know that over here the the scriptures say that you do need some kind of um like intermediary between god and yourself, you know? Like uh and perhaps it's just our interpretation that is wrong but also like once with jay i went to the golden temple and i saw like a very horrible scene like there was this uh discapacitated girl who could barely like uh, bow to the guru and the father was like super angry with the girl you know because she couldn't bow and the girl was clearly like having some physical problem that made her like unable to bow (laughs) I was like man (laughs) like devotion doesn't come that way you know it's it's not about that it's not about bowing
0: (laughs) who the history of how religion is used to control right instead of really help us connect to the all all all-knowing power within us and once again, just the importance of what you're sharing, that that we learn to keep our power and not give it away to any source that's supposedly supposed to help us gain entrance to special wisdom.
1: Yeah. And and that devotion can be devotion to yourself in a way, to your spiritual self,
0: not to, mm-hmm. to your consciousness, which is yours. <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> back to that once again. Um, Yeah, all very, very important points. And it's one of the reasons I always say in my work, the age of the guru is dead. We are alchemists and we are here to take our greatest pains and to alchemize them in our body because the body is the temple of the earthly experience to be here. And so our spirit has to descend in our body and work these pains and abuses and violations out, but in the body. And this is how we get to fully inhabit the body with our light. Is because we're willing to shine light on these dark places mm-hmm. and stop giving our power away because that power exists in us. But we mm-hmm. have to be willing to, to do the inner work so we don't keep drawing in these patterns of, of, of repeating trauma, you know? Thank you. You're really bringing up some very vulnerable places of revealing. That when you're in a relationship that the public persona automatically saw as wrong, but not necessarily abusive. Nobody saw it as abusive. Only one or two people, I hear you saying, but automatically judged it and kind of blamed you, not the person in the position of dynamic power. And this is another important historical thing to notice, not just in our community, but the history of... um, sexual predatory power dynamics
1: yeah because there's yeah there's very little understood about about abuse i think actually in both sides on both sides um
0: yeah yeah I want to encourage all listeners to um, go back and listen to, um, I believe it's episode 16. It's Jyoti Ma's episode, and um, she comes from a background in cult specialists, as well as um, background in kundalini energy, and and really just how do we make our um, abuse journey into a heroine journey, and that this is about us reclaiming ourselves from um, predatory cult places. She gives a tremendous amount of resources for complex PTSD and other sort of mental health uh, support. Um, And she also just um, really speaks specifically to 3HO towards the end of the episode and that there's a big difference between cults in the world that exist all around us and abusive cults that have history of financial, sexual and psychological and spiritual predatory abusive uh, patterns so let it be known that we're the history is painting itself you know the tapestry is painting itself and this doesn't just happen once in a while it's happening in all ashrams all throughout the world all the countries because it's interwoven in the actual um, structure structure hierarchy and teachings and ethos in and of itself and it doesn't mean it does it cannot transform but we have to be willing to have these type of conversations and all parties have to be able to speak their voice not just the person in the position of the power and the teacher but the other person who's who's violated too gets have equal voice so that we get to unwrap the, the convoluted nature of how this stuff gets passed on
1: yeah
0: yeah it's very important thank you thank you for the space also um in wrapping up is there any more that you want to share with listeners um let me see I
1: think no I think I've covered it pretty much all <laughs> yeah just thank you for the space you're providing and for all the other people that are speaking out and giving their own points of view from their own experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Remember, we don't have to have anything figured out. We just have to remember that our experience matters and our experience can be the light bulb moment in somebody else's remembrance. And so the courage to voice, to show your lens in this place, even if it's not all figured out what we know about healing traumas, it's, it's cleaning ourselves one layer at a time. And, and as we get layers feel back, we can see more clearly things we didn't get to see comprehend or or understand um, or feel prior. So trust your process. Know that there is support for you. If you were um, raised in the community, there is um, support that is available through the organization so if you're just hearing about that please be sure to reach out there is therapy available and hopefully this is going to keep extending more and more openly to all the folks who have been violated in our community um thank you again Sophia. i want to move into your song would you like to tell us why you chose this song yeah i really didn't know what song to choose no
1: (laughs) no i mean um it's an instrumental song like i didn't feel like uh Uh, lyrics song would provide the whole complexity of this whole situation and in the end, like uh, this song just reminds me of like uh, just going on with life, you know, just keeping up and uh, even though there there might be difficult times, like just keep walking and and things will go unraveling themselves. slowly.
0: Beautiful. All right, let's take a listen. Here we go. meltdown you Like to hear the full song you can listen to the uncomfortable conversations podcast on spotify for copyright reasons we only play a little bit of the song but that was brad Meldahl blackbird i could hear the words blackbird singing in the dead of night and it was like take these broken wings and learn to fly um all your life you were always waiting for this moment to arrive anyway beautiful Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for reaching out and sharing your story. I I just wanna reiterate how confusing it is to be in what's considered a consensual relationship and actually identify it as abusive. Um, Whether that is someone listening that this was in your own family, this was in a teacher-student relationship, this was in a counselor-therapist relationship, it's extremely, extremely confusing. And it's that much more vulnerable to come forward as you have today because of that. It's not yet recognized publicly as abuse on so many ways and by so many people. And you put yourself into a position to get that level of backlash and, and, and reinforcement. And I just want to say I see you and I honor you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It, it actually feels quite
1: good. <laughs> I mean, I know the probable backlash that might spread from this, and but at the same time, like there were so many times that I felt it was wrong, and I, I like I felt myself like shutting up. You know, like yeah. Sorry. And right now, it's like no, I didn't want it. <laughs> I didn't want
0: it. It happened this way, and it feels liberating. So. It's like claiming your earth, your territory. And when we're violated so early, we don't have a sense of agency and that we can even claim self. Because when our sensory body was still developing, it was being violated early. So again, it's just so tremendous just to say it out loud is that it doesn't matter if you're a listener and you're thinking, oh, that was consensual. Know that that's a long history of psychological training to believe that this type of power dynamic is consensual consen- relationship. Um, and all of us have that. You know, We all have unconscious conditioning that can make us justify what certain situations were when... Really, the power dynamic is it's abusive. So way to go way to claim your voice, to speak it out loud, to claim some space and to bring it to the public, because this is a huge step in your own healing and being witnessed here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. Again, this has been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the Kundalini Yoga 3HO community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. If you would like to share your story, you can reach out to me um, at gn gn.gurunishan.com. At please do me a favor and subscribe and share this, support, this podcast. We're available on all podcasting platforms. Please review it, please subscribe, and please share it with others. If you would like to donate... Um, To make a one-time or monthly donation, you can support this broadcast at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. Thanks again for being here, and we'll talk to you next time.